Hello, everyone, and welcome to Identity Architects, the podcast that's dedicated to spotlighting individuals who are changing the way that data is used to improve customer experiences. I'm your host, Ben Cicchetti, and for this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and chat with Infosum's founder and CTO, Nick Halstead. Before we jump into that conversation, a quick reminder to hit that subscribe button wherever you enjoy podcasts to know when the next episode lands. But without any further delay, let's jump into my chat with Nick. Hey, Nick, welcome to Identity Architects. Hi, Ben. How's everything going? Good. It's been a nice, quiet morning to start off with. Nice. Well, we'll, uh, we'll keep you busy for the next, uh, next little while. Uh, for anyone who's unfamiliar with you, can you just give us a quick introduction to Nick Halstead, who you are and what you do here at Infosum? Sure. So I'm Nick Halstead, founder and CTO, and uh, built the company for the last six years. I've been a programmer since age nine. And I, you know, like any founder, uh, get involved in every part of the business. I notionally cover all of the technology, but, um, you know, everything I enjoy is helping to drive the vision out of the company and, uh, what, you know, how we use the best technology to, you know, take advantage of all the technology we've built for the last six years. Awesome. And you mentioned, obviously, that you founded Infosum kind of a little over six years ago now, and I've been fortunate to join that journey for about four years of that. Uh, but where did the kind of inspiration idea of Infosum come from originally? So it really goes back to my last company, Datasift. I spent 12 years building that. That was very much a company all around taking social media data, finding the value within that, processing thousands of uh, data streams. And I got very close to a number of the biggest uh, social media companies, therefore, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. And I recognized uh, a number of key things around the uh, unfair advantage they have in marketing services. Uh, predominantly, the, the large ones like Facebook and Google have direct access to, you know, three, four billion people around the world. And from a data perspective, they have a centralized access of understanding of those uh, people. And coming out of Datasift, I really was thinking about what would level the playing field for everyone else, not, not just around marketing, but to think about how do you solve for data, um, making every company be as data rich as Facebook and Google. And, and that's really about, even if you're the largest, some of the you know, other largest public companies uh, out there, you may still have access to a couple of hundred million people, but these days it's a you know, global uh, economy and want to, people want to be able to market to uh, you know, literally everyone like you can on Facebook. And I was thinking about the technology that would break down those barriers of those big companies to be able to work with each other. And my, my vision really was if you could take the top 100 uh, next biggest companies uh, who are really do have good specialist uh, access and knowledge of customers in whole kinds of different areas in sport, in 
fashion, in gaming, um, but they only have slithers of access to those users. And I, it came to me of, uh, you know, what technology could I build that would allow those um, companies to be able to work together and think about the challenges that I'd seen in the last 12 years that were stopping those companies working together. And, and fundamentally, I've always had these four pillars that I had in my head before I started even, you know, touching the keyboard, which was trust, privacy, identity and integration. And that, that's the order of priority I saw that were the challenges. And, and so it was trust because fundamentally, you don't get 100 companies working with each other because um, ignoring privacy and all of the other kind of challenges. But before that, each of those companies would not give up the commercial value of the knowledge of their users to another company without some kind of balance of payment of why you to do that, which is why collaboration between companies is so difficult. Um, because the you've got to work out what the you know what that balance is, and so solving trust is the idea. It's not that you know big companies don't trust each other. You know, uh, it's more that uh, it's the leakage of value to the other company. Um, and so the the trust part was, well, how can these two or twenty? It doesn't really matter how many companies work together without um, them having to worry about the, the leakage of value and the trust aspect of it is if, if, because if we can suddenly go, right, we can work together, but I don't have to think about the fact that my knowledge, my knowledge of my hundred million users is suddenly going to be leaked to the other company. I can have a much better discussion uh, about, well, what would be the upsides of us uh, coming together? Uh, second, clearly privacy. Uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about it later on, but, Clearly, if you are going to start using your customers' data, the last six years has been transformational in the world of privacy. When I started this, I kind of um, got the view because of going back to my story of Facebook. Uh, I spent three years inside Facebook building technology for them and realized that when you get to kind of Facebook scale, uh, there's clearly a huge amount of focus on them for the things that they previously done wrong um i actually believe back when we were working with them that you know they were certainly doing their best but it made me when i started six years ago way ahead of when people were thinking about gdpr certainly years ahead of ccpa that privacy was starting to become at the forefront of consumers mind and it was trickling down into the uh into companies into certainly into governments and therefore turning into law and what changes we'd need to, uh, to make. Uh, third, and, and identity and, and integration, um, we can again cover later on, but at the heart of most of the world's biggest companies uh, to bring people together, you need to obviously understand who they are and therefore we would need technology to do that. And again, going back to building uh, DataSIF, the previous company, uh, much of what I did there was around um, identity and everything was to do with identity. So I carried a lot of that experience uh, into InfoSum. And finally, every company I've ever met um, has always internally and externally had challenges around 
when you bring more than one data set together, the integration challenges of that. So it was thinking about how could I create uh, a whole new way of thinking about uh, solving for that as well. Awesome. That makes a ton of sense. And, you know, obviously what we're talking about really there is data collaboration as a concept and obviously something that we empower and what the approach we take has clearly required people to almost reimagine what data collaboration means and how data collaboration could be enabled. So the question we obviously get asked the most is how our technology works, the kind of the non-movement of data element of what we do. And there's probably no one uh, more qualified to answer that question than yourself. So how you know, how would you describe what InfoSum is and uh, and how our technology works? Yeah, and it's the it's interesting because there are obviously new companies out there um, starting to come into uh, this space. Fundamentally, what I was trying to solve for was uh, actually taking at the heart of it actually quite a simple approach. Um, but every, generally in technology, the simpler the solution, the more complex it is to actually implement. Um, I.e., if, if you're going to make it really easy f- uh, for the customer, uh, then you want to hide all of the complexity and then actually makes it more complicated. So we actually had a really, really simple answer to um, solving for trust. And that was what we call the non-movement of data. Uh, so genuine, genuinely saying, if you're going to work with another party, we will not at any point move your data to the other customer. Um, and because I looked at a whole range of different technologies at the time, uh, six years ago of, that were either emerging through research in the open source community or other kind of larger companies that had uh, looked at this space. And, and none of them really um, solved for um, what I fundamentally wanted, which was um, beyond you know being able to say, oh, I can encrypt something or I can um, obscure something. That to me wasn't enough. Um, you know, all of those, many of the techniques. In the end, we always find with things like encryption and that they can be they're reversible. So that wasn't enough for me. I, I wanted a solution that meant it could, ne- you know, it could never actually be broken. And and it, the the simple idea that I came back to, which was this, um, what the industry kind of starting to recognise now is what they call the privacy safe intersection, which is to say, if I can um, fundamentally agree between two parties that we know the same people in a way that is safe the rest of the technology can then be built on top of that and so InfoSum really is made of like six or seven distinct layers but at the heart of it we have uh, the base layer which is uh, using what we define uh, broadly as a mathematical model we have a number of patents on these and, and we're obviously sensitive around the um, you know a unique way that we develop this but the, the simple idea way to think about this is we use a a uh, mathematical model to take a set of people and be able to match them, but not by sending the list of the people. We send a model representation of the 
identities of those people that could be any form it could be you know email addresses it can be names and addresses. it doesn't really matter because they're turned into a form that really uh, no longer represents the underlying um data and it's it's um uh, not re a reversible form but the importance is that the model that we send can only be tested and and this is a again pretty standard known thing in data science for a bit like i always use the analogy of um how DeepMind suddenly revolutionized using ai not that those techniques hadn't been around for, again for 20 30 years but uh, computational power and access to data suddenly became available and what what entered my mind was that we suddenly had the computational power to use a very old technique um, where you need to do what in computer terms is uh, called a reverse lookup, which is instead of me sending a list of people, which clearly breaks the concept of non-movement and it breaks the idea of uh, privacy, is that if I can send a model that is representing my list of people, but is not, in, in um, again, technical term, can't, can't be enumerated, you cannot list the data back, I can send that model to... Um, the second party and the second party has to test their data and we have lots of diagrams in our literature which try to uh, represent this but it's, it's, it's as literally as simple as I have to one by one go through the second party has to go through my list of names and check whether those people exist in the other party's data now what's beautiful and so simple about this is if I don't have the originating name or email or address, I can't test for it. All I can do is go, well, if I've got some data, I can see whether that person is in the other data set. And all that does is confirm that, let's say Nick Housted is in one data set, and then the other data set says, is Nick Housted in there? We can basically go, yes, Nick's in there. Um, but it's both, uh, very technically challenging to do that at scale and at speed. And that's literally what we've spent the last six years doing is do, uh, doing that. And what you end up with is an agreement between the two parties. Even if one party has 100 million uh, uh, people in it and the other has only 2 million, you get an agreement suddenly between the two, but neither party gets to find out anything about in that instance let's say there's a million overlapping there's no way of either party learning about um any of the other people that they know you basically that's that's why it's the we call it a privacy safe intersection you're being able to just agree on who you both know between that now why that's fun so fundamentally important is in the world of data privacy and trust you are not having to co-mingle the data any, at any one point. I'm not having to make the other party in, in GDPR parlance um, the data controller. I'm not sending the data to them. I'm just literally being able to agree that we both know that uh, we agree and know the same, same party. Now, that is at the heart of what we do. And when I see other companies talking about decentralization and that they're privacy safe and they're using hashing or they're using um, uh, a range of different techniques out there around federated learning or multi-part compute. The question I always immediately ask is, well, 
how have you agreed on who is the same person across those two data sets? Because if you don't know that Nick Housted um, is Nick Housted in the other data set, you first, you're going to have to bring those two data sets together somewhere. And if, you, if you're then going to have to go through a separate process for your ID matching, then all of your concepts around decentralization and around the way that you're doing the processing of the data are flawed. You can't call yourself a clean room or any of these other, or privacy safe, because you have clearly had to run a separate ID matching process that involved handing the data over to it. And so that, that is utterly unique to InfoSum that we combine the clean rooming, the identity matching and the data processing all through the lens of non-movement. Um, and if you don't have non-movement of the actual ident uh, identity, then your whatever other techniques you're using, you are you are not uh, genuinely decentralized. You know it's you know that 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 is so unique to us that we can keep the data separated. Yeah, and I mean we've seen obviously a lot of success at the moment in the media and advertising industry where there's this kind of burning bridge that we <clears throat> we solve for, which is the loss of third party cookies and you know consumer trust and other elements. But really, the InfoSum technology is has applications across tons of industries, right? Any industry where the customer experience can be benefited from two or more data sets being analyzed as one, there's a use case for InfoSum there. But are there any industries you're particularly interested and excited by at the moment? I mean, if you had asked me two years ago, you know, we focused on marketing services first because it's uh, an industry that is certainly in distress and the it's one that I knew very well and the a lot of the early team were focused on that area but it could easily have been health data insurance finance uh, etc the what what has always excited me the most is that within every business there is huge amounts of untapped first party data within the business that isn't joined up. Um, so irrelevant whether we're going into me uh, media use case, that media use case around um, uh, activation or um, measurement is actually just a stepping stone for most businesses to actually uh, improve their actual internal understanding. And so it, I get excited by the idea that as more of our bunkers that, that we call them, the, the technology that we install with our customers, they get to start thinking about, um, and it's an, a horribly often massively overused term, but this whole idea of the 360 degree of the customer really doesn't exist out there at the moment. Uh, but it's something that excites me just a, across industries um, that you can suddenly bring together um, five different departments across a company. I've, I've talked to numbers of banks over the last number of years, and it always amazed me that things like their credit card business was a list of customers completely isolated from their knowledge of their um, uh, current account um, uh, customers, that they didn't have the ability to deal with um, the you know bring bringing and unifying those uh, two two data sets together, but also 
uh, and um, I'm not giving away anything from this because this is some uh, a thought I had years and years ago, which was that wouldn't wouldn't it be amazing in any country, not just the UK, obviously that that I know know the best is why any health service in most countries couldn't be joined to the world of apps. You know, a good example of that from a health perspective is you take something like Strava or you take Fitbit and be able to join that to health records and be able to understand what the impact of someone suddenly getting fit uh, is on what their, their, their general health over the course of a couple of years. And that's that's been a massive struggle in, in that industry that people are clearly very sensitive about their data and InfoSum's probably the only company in the world that genuinely can do this research across data sets without um, needing to suddenly open up lots and lots of legal frameworks to be able to um, have all that data moved moved around and centralized, etc. So there's the just so many exciting ideas around data co-ops in different industries and different ways to uh, leverage data that, mo- as again, going back right at the beginning of the conversation of trust has been so much of a fundamental blocker to um, companies actually doing genuinely interesting things with their their first party data, because like rightfully, like any other, like any company, it would be disastrous if you suddenly leak both from a these days privacy outlook that data is going outside of your your four walls, but it's also lowering the value of your business if you let it out. So the idea of collaboration with non movement is just a game changer to any industry. Yeah, completely agree. And obviously one of those industries that I think we're both excited about being uh, gamers that we are is the gaming industry who are producing just huge volumes of data. You know, more and more gaming is happening online or on digital platforms. Um, And you actually got your start in gaming. Is that right? Yeah, I never went to university, left uh, school at 18, went uh, thankfully a number of uh, pupils that were a year above me actually went straight to um, a number of companies. One of them immediately rang me up when I left school and offered me a job in a, in the games industry. And I, and I went from five, six years of programming, writing lots and lots of games to running some of the biggest studios uh, in the UK, uh, running big you know teams of 600 odd uh, engineers um, building some of the biggest titles uh, out there and that, and that just gave me a, a great great understanding of um, how to build companies around uh, engineering but then it's been great to see for coming back to InfoSum that some of our strongest clients uh, in the gaming uh, sector I mean the I've come in many years back that the kind of um, gaming world suddenly became worth more than the uh, movie industry and clearly it continues to grow and um, they've uh, because ga- the gaming industry has obviously always been good at technology they've adopted the idea of you know the logged in user way ahead of probably the rest of uh, any of the media industries. so unlike many of the publishers who are struggling with understanding who their customers are, the games industry of everyone knows them the best. So that, and clearly 
they are like everyone super sensitive about where their data goes and so we have you know um great clients in that industry and uh it's an exciting uh world where we are out there building you know a whole new network of companies um with very much a clear privacy goal and a desire to um uh you know use that data but use it in a you know sensitive way um but you know it's it's a it's still a a very untapped world where there's you know around the world you know who doesn't play games in some form or other and if and you know that generally is great first party data for sure and obviously you touched on uh their kind of the identity crisis that publishers are facing uh driven largely by the loss of you know the third party cookie and the cookieless future that we face and there are a bunch of solutions coming to market that are looking to either replace the cookie or offer some kind of alternative. Where do you think we'll end up? Will we have that kind of Lord of the Rings, one identity rule them all, or will we end up in a different place? Yeah, and it's it's um, mildly disappointing that that uh, things are being pushed back on that because it's very easy for people to become complacent that you know the consumer hasn't changed their mind about why they've. Uh, so unhappy around you know the the marketing industry and, and the way people are being tracked the I think the the final outcome there certainly won't be one identity the fundamental of the the, the, the whole idea of a universal idea uh, ID is pretty abhorrent to me in that you couldn't have any more of a more um Orwellian idea, idea than uh, idea that everyone is assigned one ID. You know, and that's you know when when people say say universal ID to me, I, it's it's like I'm amazed. More newspapers don't write articles of saying right. Every, you know, no, most countries always have these kind of arguments around why they don't want ID centralized ID cards from a privacy point of view, but. It's essentially what uh, you know is is putting out there. So I don't think that will happen. European regulation certainly won't allow it to happen, um, and so you know that will be a, still a very fragmented uh, industry. But I, I think what people need to understand is it's not per se the ID that is the challenge. And in fact, cookies get a bad rap. Um, in that, you know, the cookies in browsers were never designed to uh, do everything they do, but it's not, it's the implementation of how they're used that is wrong uh, because there's no protection in within browsers uh, of how they get, therefore get abused. But having an ID, you know, a central ID rather than a cookie doesn't solve the problem of uh, transfer of knowledge, i.e., in the end, the thing that InfoSum and our customers are most sensitive about is that there should really only ever be two parties involved in knowing anything about the customer. It should be the advertiser who um, may already know you and wants to target you and has got already got permission from you and the publisher who knows you because you're on their site or of whatever form that be, be it TV, web, mobile, but clearly you're on their site, you accept their terms and conditions that, that uh, if it's a site that is powered by advertising, you accept that. Those are the only two, in our view, the only two parties 
should need to know who you are and be able to continue to collect data on you. What the challenge with cookies is, is the transfer of knowledge around the ecosystem to allow the, the machinery to target you means that 100 companies get a copy of your data. And, and that's really what everyone um, is trying to achieve is, you know, we still ever, we still want to be able to have the mechanisms to be able to measure and target and analyze, but it's who gets to see the underlying data. And that's, you know, where we have been successful in uh, InfoSum going into that industry is saying, we can still do all of those things but we can make sure that the parties in between who should, who have no rights to act to collect that data do not do so. So, you know, that, that, you know, my view is though it will be fragmented, but I hope over time technologies like ours, we won't be the only one clearly mean that the consumer can be more rely uh, and more confident that their data is not going to end up being spammed everywhere. Yeah, and you mentioned obviously the consumer and the fact that the awareness among consumers is higher than ever around how their data is used and how their data is collected. Um, what do you think? And obviously that means businesses are more aware of that and therefore doing taking steps to correct any uh, <clears throat> risks for themselves. What's the best way to address the kind of data and secure, data security and privacy issues and who's responsible for then communicating that to and educating the consumer? Well, it's... It, it's it's hard clearly if you're a smaller player it's hard to make a dent you know but the what's fantastic for, for my view when i talk to the world's biggest you know fortune 500s is they do they recognize that the that the risks they run of uh, getting this wrong now both from a regulatory point of view, but also the consumer view. You know, Apple is famously, you know, re, you know, has taken a pretty strong line uh, through their um, the phones um, and being able to um, um, be able to obfuscate who you are and be able to clearly define whether you are happy for certain apps to access data. But they've also gone on the offensive, and they've uh, they have. Def definitely taking the responsibility to actually put adv advertising out there and, and you can be you know cynical about it or whatever that it's self-serving but it's certainly raised you know uh resonated with i think with the consumer this idea that you know i think the last apple one was just lots of people walking around the room following you for, for everything that you do and, and that's the reality of what was was and continues to go on so um I think it is the responsibility of the biggest companies to be more opaque about what technology they are using to protect their consumers' uh, underlying data. The, the world where you can just stick lots of lawyers on it, paper over it, make it look like you're meeting the um, letter of the legal requirements of the things like GDPR, but you know the, the the suddenly we're at the line where are you actually meeting the ethical interpretation of the, what those things are meant to do because there's always loopholes and you know whatever around these things so I, what i see is companies being much more sensitive to well are, are we actually you know really do approaching this in in the right, really the right way rather than just you know just the legals yeah 
makes a ton of sense. I think consumer awareness is only going to go up and, you know, consumers ultimately will, you know, hold companies accountable. Um, and, you know, kind of if, if companies don't take action, they will potentially force companies to take action by, you know, where they spend their money. Yeah. So if we move on to a few quick fire questions, just to kind of wrap things up with you, Nick, um, what is your earliest memory of technology? Um, I actually, but even before I got my first, I'm old enough, unfortunately, to remember, uh, certainly in the UK, the first um, kind of consumer mass market computer was the um, Sinclair um, ZX81. Unfortunately, uh, we just recently lost uh, Sir Clive Sinclair, uh, who started it all, which is, um, you know, was very poignant for me. Um, but, but before that, I actually had a uncle that uh, was a whiz with electronics and he actually had a number of uh, my earliest memory of being excited by tech was a valve based calculator that was like the size of uh, a typewriter that you could do quite complex things with it but that that but it was um, that that was uh, uh, to me something that was like that sparked my real interest and you know it's, it's never stopped since then and then what was your kind of first job in technology well, it's, um, it actually goes before school. So I actually first started out working in uh, Welling Gardens City at a computer club where I knew pretty much more than the people that actually worked in the uh, computer shop that it was based in. And so they started paying me. And then I actually um, then went on to a number of other. I was submitting computer uh, games in back back in the day when you typed in your before uh, tapes and discs and all the rest of it. Lots of magazines used to publish code that you'd type into your Zenix AT1 or BBC Micro. And I used to write that and submit them into magazines and uh, make money from them. Oh, wow. And knowing what you know now, uh, what would you say to yourself when you were first starting out in your career? Um, I'd have probably started myself earlier. You know, I, I, I was... Probably, you know, I, I think I always count myself as a um, not a genuine entrepreneur in that, you know, a, a Richard Branson, who at the very heart of his being is always to make new companies. The um, uh, it took me a while. I was very comfortable working for other companies until, you know, uh, a few things in my life then made, made me rethink what I should uh, do. But, you know, there's I always say to people that, you know, there's if you've got friends and family, there is no risk in today's society of going and doing it yourself. So I wish I'd, I wish I'd um, started earlier. Awesome. And what do you love about what you do right now in the industry we're in? Um, there's a lot of things I hate about it. <laughs> that, <laughs> that it's uh, it needs to grow up. Uh, I, I love the creativity. Um, that uh it shows but it's it's somewhat misguided at times um that uh i i i love the fact that what we're uh achieving uh that what comes out of it but i want it to grow up to be more of more of an enterprise uh business but the um you know i always the reason i do it is in the end is down to the technology i love high scalability high speed frequency and complexity um, you know that, that that's what always dri drives me is what what is the programming challenge within it? Yeah, 
And we've touched on throughout this conversation, identity a lot, the concept of identity. How would you explain the term identity to a 10 year old? Um, not easy, you know, in, in the <laughs> end, um, it comes down to how do you know someone? What, what's, what's the piece of uh, knowledge that identifies one person? We will have hundreds of, maybe not hundreds, but a lot of pieces of information and an and identity can be made up of um, not just your name or in your, your home address. It can be almost demographic bits of information because any combinations of bits of knowledge help uniquely identify someone so it's 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 all the knowledge all the things that are about you that create some level of uniqueness to help uh identify you from someone else uh, and what keeps you awake at night nick nothing nothing okay well what gets you up in the morning <laughs> really built building the company um you know uh, for all the, my love of the technology it really does come down to that a company is made up of uh staff I get asked a lot about uh, how I've consistently built businesses over the last 20 plus years. And it's really just focusing on talent and um, hiring myself. Uh, I've lucky, I've been very lucky to have a lot of amazing mentors myself. And the thing I've always been taught is hiring myself out of every job and putting, surrounding myself with people that are way smarter than me so get, getting up is just the fact that I get to talk to amazing people every day I love that that's awesome uh is there anything we haven't discussed or that we haven't mentioned that you think we should can't think of anything I'll, ta I'll take that as yeah. being a fantastic host then and uh <laughs> yes we covered everything I think you've covered everything it's been yeah exactly Awesome. So obviously the concept of identity architects is for us to speak to people who are pioneering the way that data is used to improve the customer experience ultimately. So when you look at the team here at InfoSum and the team that you kind of discussed building up around you, who do you think I should sit down with next to chat to? Um, obviously, you know, we're only just starting this and obviously the the person I've, I've first brought in to replace my main job which was i was ceo before was uh brian so i think getting brian to uh, give his uh, perspective would be great as well yeah completely agree um we'll get right on that and hopefully we'll uh we'll line brian up for a future episode this was awesome nick thank you so much for spending the time talking to us uh this was a fascinating look at kind of you infosum and the industry as it exists today and in the future that's brilliant thanks very much ben Thank you again to Nick for joining us for the latest episode of Identity Architects. It was fascinating to discuss the world of data collaboration and identity and take a deep dive into what we do at InfoSum to enable data collaboration that powers better customer experiences and prioritizes the privacy of consumers. Remember to hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts to know when the next episode lands. But until then, thanks for listening.